So I'm a PhD social psychologist. I work at the Kinsey Institute. I run a blog called Sex and Psychology, which has been going for about nine years now, where I update it usually about three times per week with updates on the latest sex research designed to educate and entertain people. And I also have written a book called Tell Me What You Want that's all about the science of sexual fantasies. And how I got into sex research, it's kind of accidental. It's not like something I planned on doing for my entire life. But I was working on my doctoral degree And I was studying the science of relationships and how people develop happy and healthy relationships. And I got assigned to be a teaching assistant for a human sexuality course one semester. And that course just opened up my eyes to this whole world of sex research. But it also made me realize, like, how can we be studying relationships but not be talking about sex? Mm. It's, It's kind of this weird thing where people who study relationships are very separate from people who study sex. And sex is really one of the biggest and most important aspects of most people's relationships. And so that course is what really inspired me to go into the field of sex research because it just seemed like this overlooked area. And it felt like there was this important connection that needed to be made between sexuality and relationships. So that's sort of what I've made my career into ever since then. And this book that I published called Tell Me What You Want is based on this survey of more than 4,000 Americans and their sexual fantasies. And it involves participants from all 50 states who range in age from 18 to 87. They span different political and economic and religious backgrounds. And what I really wanted to do was to explore not just what it is that people are fantasizing about, but what our fantasies say about us and also the connection between fantasy and reality. Because the research that exists on sexual fantasies is actually surprisingly limited. Most of it is based just on college students. And they're not necessarily the most representative group to look at if we want to try and understand what it is that turns people on and what people are actually doing in their sex lives. So my goal here was to really try and get a better understanding of what a more diverse cross-section of the population is fantasizing about and answer some questions that had never really been answered before. The work is amazing, man. I've read through the book and love the breakdown of like the different themes. That was really interesting to me. And then there's kind of sub themes within those as well. Even the breaking down of like the differences between men and women's fantasies and the fact that there's way more commonality than there, than there might be difference. And um, and I'm, I'm keen to, to jump into it, man. So I mentioned a couple of those themes there. And um, yeah, I was wondering if you wanted to, to expand on what those themes that you found in your research were. In this survey, I asked people to describe their favorite sexual fantasy of all time. And I first gave them the ability to describe it in narrative form. And they could write as much or as little as they wanted. Some people wrote a heck of a lot. (laughs) For other people, their descriptions were really quite short. But I asked the follow-up question where I said, please summarize your favorite sexual fantasy of all time in just one word. What is the one key word that encapsulates your sexual fantasy? And I then took those one-word descriptions and I performed a content analysis on them to group them into common categories. And what I found was that there were really seven distinct themes that emerged. And it wasn't just in that study. I also did a follow-up study to see 
how well those seven categories held up. And what I found in the follow-up study was that those seven categories accounted for between 96 and 97% of people's favorite sexual fantasies of all time. So there really is something to this idea. So just very briefly, the seven most common fantasy themes that emerged were first, multi-partner sex, which includes threesomes, foursomes, or just anything more than two people. Second was BDSM, the power control and rough sex types of fantasies, which obviously runs a very big spectrum. Next was novelty, adventure, and variety, which is just doing something that is new and different for you. Most commonly, just trying a new position or having sex in a new location. Just anything that adds something new or different. I could also include sex toys or incorporating food with sex, for example. Next were the taboo fantasies. So doing something that is socially or culturally forbidden. It turns out that people are really turned on by the idea of doing something that they've been told they're not supposed to do. So whenever we're told we're not supposed to do something, that just makes us want to do it even more. Mm -hmm. And many parents have discovered that you can use this to your advantage with your children. (laughs) Just tell them the the opposite of what they should be doing, and then they'll do what you actually want them to do. That's it, classic Um, reverse psychology, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And it works uh, in sexual and non-sexual settings. Mm. Uh, Next are the passion, romance, and intimacy fantasies where people are sort of validating their emotional needs, they're feeling desired and wanted and loved. And then the last couple of categories were the non-monogamy fantasies, which are fantasies about just being in some type of sexually open relationship that could be in polyamory or swinging or cuckolding, where in cuckolding fantasies, people are watching their partner have sex with someone else. And then lastly, were the what I call gender bending and homoeroticism fantasies, where people are just sort of playing with the boundaries of their gender role or their sexual orientation in some way. So that could include a cisgender person who fantasizes about cross-dressing or maybe somebody who identifies as heterosexual but has a same-sex fantasy. So mm. those were really the seven main themes that emerged. Incredible that there's such a breadth and a width with regards to fantasy as well. And I know a lot of those overlap and, and you share that in your book, how they might overlap. I I think that's an important point that these Mm. fantasies can be combined in any number of different ways. So you can have a multi-partner BDSM novelty passion fantasy all at once, right? So it's not just one or the other. Shining light on our fantasies and and the the scope of them as well is the normalizing of those as well. Like we, this is my projection, but also my observation working with working with men particularly is there's a lot of shame around the types of fantasies that we might have, particularly the more uh, not not normal, quote unquote, not normal fantasies, the taboo ones, the ones with a lot more stigma and, and shame associated with them. So I, I love the idea of just normalizing desires and, and you know things that we fantasize about. I think there's a lot of value in doing that because it starts to then give people permission to start exploring those. Um, and, and to start like leading a healthy sex life and, and having those conversations with their partner. The things that I wanted to, to kind of dive into with you, particularly because of the, the audience of the podcast and the intention behind the podcast is to speak into, speak into men's fantasies and, and what you found men maybe fantasize more about. One thing I would say before we get into that is just going back to what you said about all of the shame and anxiety that people feel about their fantasies. One of the things that emerged in my research is that men actually feel a lot more shame about their fantasies than women do. And I think that's a really interesting finding because 
there's sort of this stereotype, this idea that men are super comfortable with their sexuality and with sex in general, but men actually feel a lot more shame than women do about what it is that turns them on. Mm. And that holds a lot of guys back from telling their partners what it is that they want and actually getting the type of sexual fulfillment that they want out of their lives. Mm. Now, when it comes to the, the types of things that are more likely to turn men on than women, there are a few differences there. One is that men have more multi-partner fantasies than women do. So men are not just more likely to have these fantasies, but they have them more often. So things like threesomes and orgies, gangbangs, and so forth. Another area where men have more fantasies is in the taboo category. So doing something that you're not supposed to do is something where men tend to score much higher than women. And that would include things like voyeurism fantasies, for example, where they're spying on somebody else who is undressing or having sex, as well as exhibitionism fantasies, where they might be exposing themselves to someone else or performing sexually in front of an audience of some type. And one of the other areas that I think is really interesting is that men had more fantasies about gender bending than women did. So men have more fantasies about cross-dressing, about having sex with transgender partners, and, and just playing with their gender role and expression. And I think a big part of that comes from the fact that there's so much pressure on men to be one very certain, very specific thing when it comes to sex. Mm. And we have these very rigid ideas of men and masculinity. And it seems that in our fantasies that men are often really trying to break free of those rigid gender constraints. 